Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. You know, there are, there are a lot of, I'm sure there are lawsuits that are legitimate, but there are a lot of frivolous lawsuits uh, that happen in, in America. The civil lawsuits are in the billions, uh, depending on the year, sometimes in the hundreds of billions. Uh, and you hear about all of these ones, uh, like a few years ago, the, San, the baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, were sued because on Father's Day they gave, um, they gave some special gift just to men, you know, on, on Father's Day. And uh, then I read about... Um, there was a guy who, uh, a, a judge actually in D.C., who sent his pants to the cleaners, and he they messed the pants up, and and he said they substituted, uh, they substituted a, a different pair of pants for, a, and you know they guaranteed same day service, and he sued him for millions and millions of dollars. Because there, it went over, I, I don't know, over a year and a half as they were going back and forth. And he sued for like both of the owners for $15,000 a day, you know, for all the distress that this had caused him for that. And then, of course, uh, there was the psychic who actually got awarded uh, some money. I think it was $97,000, got awarded because she went to the doctor and the doctor ordered a CAT scan and then she said afterwards it destroyed her psychic powers getting the CAT scan. Now, of course, it may beg the question if she was really a psychic, wouldn't she have known? You know what I (laughs) mean. We live in a culture and a society where where people just have big expectations, right? And when they're big expectations, when people don't meet their expectations, they're going to they're gonna sue them, right? Now, the way on the opposite end of that spectrum is a guy like Kevin Kling, who's a storyteller from Minnesota that was born with a birth defect. His left arm was a lot shorter uh, than his right arm, and he was disabled with it. And in his early 40s, he was in a motorcycle accident um, that almost took his life. He was in the hospital for six weeks and undergoing multiple surgeries. And in those six weeks, he had no appetite for food. Uh, he lost a lot of weight. And every day, his wife would come up to the hospital and um, they would take the elevator down to the to bottom floor and, and he would walk a little bit. And one day they were walking by the, and saw the hospital gift shop and they went in the hospital gift shop and there were, there were some apples in there. And his, his wife took one of the apples and said, wow, these look really good. And she was trying to encourage him to take a bite out of the apple. And he, again, for weeks, he had, well, like a month, he hadn't eaten any solid food. He just didn't have an appetite. But she, she you know, urged him to do it. And so finally, finally, he, he decided, yes, I'm going to take one bite out of this apple. And he bites into the apple. And he, he said it just tasted so good. That's, 
the day that his taste came back. And he said the sweetness of the apple was just so good to him. And he started crying. He said, you know, my tears, my eyes were burning from all of the anesthesia and the antibiotics. And yet through the burning tears, I could taste the sweetness in my mouth. And I just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this life. And he said, I learned that there were three phases to prayer. The first phase is we ask God for things. God, give me this. And he said, the second phase, we ask God to get us out of things. And he said, the third phase is just thanking God for things. And he said, that's how I learned about the third phase of prayer. And that, I I can't vouch for him or his spiritual walk. I don't know him. I read that story and I thought that fits what we're talking about. We're, We're talking about the phase of prayer today that is giving thanks. And I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Here at Harvest, we're doing 40 days of prayer. Each week there's a theme And basically what we're doing for six weeks is we are just looking at the recorded prayers of Jesus. We're looking at how he actually prayed. We're not looking at what he taught about prayer in a didactic fashion, an instructional fashion. We're actually looking at the prayers he prayed. They're very different from each other, we're going to find out. And today we come to a prayer of thanks, Matthew chapter 11. Verse 25 and 26, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, let's contrast this for a minute with the passage that we looked at last week. Last Sunday, we covered Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, that at right near the end of his life, when he was about to be betrayed and crucified, he was in agony and he prayed for God the Father to take the cup away from him, this cup of suffering by which he would be made sin and take all the sin of the world on him. And he prayed and he just surrendered to God, the Father's will. Now, as we contrast these prayers, that one was a very long prayer. He prayed for hours that night. This one today is short. It might have been minutes or might not have even lasted one minute long. The the prayer in Matthew 26 was about suffering and surrender. It was it was deep, heartfelt emotion, and this, was, this one was just a part of his daily life and ministry. He's teaching here, he's contrasting this, and he just prays. Another contrast, that Matthew 26 was at a set place, and he was private. He, he had, had his disciples with him, all of them were there except for Judas, of course. And then he took the three, Peter, James, and John. And then he even went beyond them by himself and he's praying. Whereas here in Matthew 11, 
Uh, this seems to be in public. It seems to be out on, on the street when, in walking through the city or something like that. So here's the setting. In the context of Jesus' denunciation of the towns that refused to repent in spite of seeing his miracles, Jesus just naturally acknowledged God the Father and his activity. That, that's, this is in that context. Let's, and in a second, when we read the, the verses leading into it, you'll see that. And that, those relate to the first point. But we're going to talk today about giving thanks to God. And we're going to talk about what that means, what that is, what that does. And I'm setting it up this way. I, it may look like I couldn't make a decision with all these slashes, but these are all intentional. We're talking about what giving thanks in prayer is and what it can be and what it should be. It's, it's all of those things. This, we're going to talk about three things that giving thanks in prayer really is and, and can be and should be. And the first thing is it's a natural part of life, an outgrowth of communion with God. So let's back up a few verses And let's read the verses that lead into our two verses for today, beginning at verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. You see what's happening? Jesus pointed to these places that in the Old Testament received judgment. And he's saying, greater miracles have been done for you, but, but you didn't repent. Verse 24, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said... See, now, in your Bible, there might be a heading. There might be those little heading marks and paragraph and this and that and the other. That's not the way it was written in the Greek. <laughs> those headings are, they're helpful and they're good, but, but they're added by humans to help us think things through conceptually. What we want to do is we're reading along and we're watching Jesus. We're watching what he does, and he's, he's just in the midst of of, of denouncing these towns for refusing to repent. And right at that time, Matthew says, Jesus prayed. Just, he sets it in the context of regular life and ministry for Jesus. It's not a set time. It's not a set place. It's not one of the set times that Jewish people went to pray at that time. It's, it's hard to identify exactly where it was, but thematically uh, and conceptually, Matthew's linking it 
with a comparison. And we'll see why in a few minutes because these people didn't repent. And then Jesus, after our verses, is going to tell about, or part of our verses, actually, the end of them, who did repent and why. And so it's, it's, it's a link. It's just he's doing this and, and he stops to give thanks in prayer. So he didn't need a special prayer meeting or a special prayer gathering. He didn't wait to, to go to the synagogue or something so that he could actually do this prayer. It's just a natural part of life. The second thing that we learn about giving thanks in prayer is that it is both intimate and reverent. At that time, Jesus said, and notice how he addresses God the Father. Father, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus knew he was the Son of God. He was fully equal with God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit that have existed as one for all eternity. But in the incarnation, that's when Jesus actually, the Son, came to be born as a human being and live on earth for those 33 years. That's where he took on the role as Son of God where we could see him and see what God was like. And this prayer, while he's fully God, he's also fully human, and he prays, Father. That's an intimate way to pray. We talked about a minute ago how the prayer in Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, was very different. It was long, it was intense. But the similarity between the two prayers is in both of those prayers, how did he address God the Father? He said, Father. There was an intimate, there was a closeness, there was a, uh, a realization of intimacy between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus, of course, taught his disciples in what we know as the Lord's Prayer to pray our Father, right? It was, we all say that together, our Father, but this is pretty unique for an individual to address God as Father. That just, that just didn't happen. So that's the intimate side. The reverent side is he acknowledges that he's Lord of heaven and earth. That's a typical way, that's a typical way of addressing God in a Jewish prayer to say something like Lord of heaven and the earth, but it's it's unique here in the New Testament. And Jesus is noting that God the Father is sovereign over all. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He's Lord of heaven and earth. And that leads into the rest of the prayer that you can see on the screen. Notice he says, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. In other words, God, you are sovereign over all and you have the right, so to speak, if we could use that word, to choose who you will choose. 
You, no one can criticize you, the sovereign God, for any action that you would make because you are Lord of heaven and earth. And so right in the context of a few verses, we've got the answer to the big question of God's sovereignty and human free will. We've got the answer. You're going to get that answer today. You're supposed to laugh right there. That's okay. But it's interesting that while he's saying this and bowing and bending and acknowledging the sovereignty of God, it comes right after assigning human responsibility for the people who rejected him. And right before, in verse 28 to 30, some of those great words where he issues an open invitation, come to me, everyone who is weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the answer is it's, there's mystery involved, but it's reverent. Now, I, I do need to note this, that our reverence for God the Father in prayer is different than Jesus. Jesus wasn't reverent before God the Father in the sense that, that he was worshiping God the Father because he was God himself. But remember, he's fully God and fully human, and and, and the way he prays becomes a model for us. And for us, there's, there's reverence towards who God the Father is and God the Son, Jesus. So, for instance, look look what he says here. He says, You have hidden these things from the wise and learned. What what things is he talking about? I think he's talking about the words and actions of Jesus that revealed the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God was coming on them. And he had been teaching. And these other, these other towns and cities and people there rejected it and didn't want anything to do with it. But, but God had revealed it. And it, the ones who didn't see it were who? From whom was it hidden? The wise and the learned. Now, Jesus in no way was denouncing education or training. The wise and the learned here does not refer to academic specialists. It refers to people who were self-sufficient, who didn't think they had a need for Jesus' teaching. They thought they were wise and learned enough not to need him. So there was no humility. There was no seeking after him. And this probably refers in a general sense to all of unbelieving Israel, but maybe even more focused on the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes who often rejected God's wisdom in favor of their own systems. Now, on the other hand, who are the ones that received the revelation? He hid these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children or infants, not just physical little children, although Jesus welcomed them, but this is, again, a spiritual reference to people that are open, people that are humble, people know they need God, and they are they're wanting to seek after God's message. And in humility and openness, they followed Jesus. Jesus regularly fo- referred to his followers as the least of these or the little ones. They may have been unimportant in the eyes of the world, but they were responsive to God's truths. 
So this prayer of thanks shows us that it's, it's natural, it just naturally occurs in life, and that it's, it's both intimate and reverent. And the third thing that we learn about giving thanks in prayer is that it is acknowledging God in praise and worship. Acknowledging God in praise and worship. Look what Jesus said. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, it's an unusual word that's used in the original language here. It's not the normal word that you would use for thank, to thank someone or even to bless God. Those are words that happen often in these kind of situations, but it's, it's a different word that's, that's, that's used. Some of your translations, rather than say, saying praise, might say thank, and that's, that's legitimate. But notice, this is a rich word. <laughs> this, this is a very rich word. Let me give you some possible meanings for the original word that's being used here when he says, I praise. One is to confess or admit. A second meaning is to praise, and a third meaning is to acknowledge. Now, often when different words have different shades of meaning, they usually only mean one of those things in that particular context. But there are occasions, and I happen to think that this is one of them, when a lot of it blends together, and let me show you, let me show you why. So, I praise you, Father. So, confessing or admit, this is the word that can be used of confessing your sins. Matthew chapter 3, all, all of these words that are going to be highlighted in yellow are the same Greek word that is used in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25 there that Jesus, that came out of Jesus' mouth. Well, obviously it came out of his mouth in Aramaic and then they, they, they translated it uh, in the Greek New Testament. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So this word can mean to confess. It can also mean to praise, especially in the context when you're attributing it to God, when you're addressing God with this. And this is both Old and New Testament in the, in, in the Greek versions. 2 Samuel 22. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. And Psalm 9-1, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. So the word can mean to confess. It can mean to praise. But it also has a sense of acknowledging someone or something. So for instance, same word is going to be used here in this famous passage in Philippians 2. Talking about Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient to death all the way to the death of the cross. And in verse 9, the apostle Paul writing here says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's a great translation, I think. It's like, they may not acknowledge it now. They may not acknowledge him now. But there is going to be a day that every knee bows before him. And every tongue acknowledges. And what are they doing when they're acknowledging? They're going to be confessing, right? We confess this to be true. We confess who you are. We acknowledge who you are. And guess what? They are going to be praising God in this, right? This acknowledgement is worship. It's, 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 and that, I, that's where I think these, these meanings, although it's interesting in some contexts, like the Matthew Three, when they were confessing their sins, I think that's okay. Yeah, I, I admit that. But in these contexts of praise and worship and thanks, you get this, this acknowledgement and praise factor put together. Now, all of these verses that I've cited are linguistic parallels. It's the same exact word. Let me give you another verse that doesn't use that same word, but it uses that same concept to help us Help us see this. We're, we're coming to something important here. I hope you can stay through it for that. Psalm 50. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. The key here is the word honor. He's drawn a contrast. Some people, they're going to forget God. They're not going to acknowledge God. They're not going to confess God. They don't see the need to thank God for something. And they just forget God. But those who follow God, those who love God, are going to bring offerings to him. And what kind of offerings? Thank offerings. And that's the heart of of acknowledging God. The heart of our worship is when we see, God, I want to thank you. I want to praise you. I want to acknowledge you. Now, when we acknowledge God, what do we acknowledge God for? I think there's two, there are two big categories. We acknowledge who God is. That's Part of the heart of worship. It's like, this is who God is. I'm going to praise him for who he is. And Jesus modeled that here. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And speaking of who God is, just to just take a minute to go into the, the verse after our verses. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is an amazing statement in verse 27 about the intimate knowledge between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. 
No, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. God the Father and God the Son knew each other in a way that nobody else does. And we didn't know God the Father. We needed to know who God the Father was. And so in, in the council of the Godhead, so to speak, a decision was made to come reveal God the Father by sending God the Son And so this intimate knowledge that existed between God the Father and God the Son, now the Son is going to reveal that to people, to receptive followers. And as Grant Osborne correctly notes, this is tantamount to a declaration of the deity of Christ. He is more than the agent. He is the revealer. So this in no way is Jesus inferior to God the Father. This is just teaching us about the process of divine revelation of what was happening while Jesus was in his incarnate state living on earth. Last week in that prayer in Gethsemane, we saw fully God and fully human, but we really saw an emphasis on his humanity. In this passage, we're seeing an emphasis on his deity, on the fact of who Jesus is. He is is God. So we praise God for who God is, we also praise God for what he has done. So when we're thanking God, sometimes we just thank him for who, who he is. Oh God, you are holy. And then maybe we thank him for what he has done. Oh God, thank you that you gave me a job to, to go to and support my family with. In this case, there's a lot of emphasis on what he has done and we The verse we read there, um, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So actually, in this passage, there's a little bit more of a focus on what he has done than, than who he is, although they're both there. But throughout the Bible, these two are linked in worship, who God is and what he is Done. You read the Psalms and you'll see it over and over and over again. And this is God's word for us this morning. Giving thanks to God is worship. Naturally. Giving thanks to God is worship. Naturally. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So let me wrap it up by giving you three prayer tips. Uh, how, how, do you, how, how can we be more thankful? I, this, this is an area I want to grow in. I hope you do too. I really want to grow in being more thankful and expressing it more to God. So let me just try to give you three tips, three things that I'm sure there are many, but here are three things that could hopefully help us all. And the first one is this. Refuse to view the secular and the sacred as unrelated or opposite. (laughs) Okay? I'm calling the secular and sacred. See the pictures there. Oh, you got a person in church, right? That's sacred, right? That's when they're really doing something spiritual and they're with God and they should be thankful there and they should really be close to God there. Oh, and then all through the week, man, at work. And sometimes we have this false 
dichotomy that we separate life into two categories. These are the sacred things when I go to church, maybe when I'm going to my community group or Bible study or something, those are the sacred things. But, you know, when I'm out jogging or when I'm at the park with my kids or when I'm going to work or I'm doing whatever, those those are secular things. And I think that's a very damaging way to look at life. Because it's our focus on, yeah, we are focusing on God this morning, right? We are really intensely focusing on God with each other through music, through the word, through interaction with each other. And hopefully that is designed to help you, all of us do it together and then inspire and equip you to go do it all week long in every setting because everything before God is sacred. Is changing the oil in your car a sacred duty? Well, if you're going to drive that car for God's honor and glory, I would say that could be sacred, right? And if any of you know how to do that and want to come change mine, I'll be happy to let you share in the sacredness of it rather than paying to the place down there every aspect of our life matters to God you don't have to be doing something quote spiritual for it to be sacred does this make sense G.K. Chesterton I love what he said and you think about it many of us maybe most of us pray before we eat right And sometimes if you examine our prayer life, you might think the only thing in the world we're thankful for is food, because that's what we pray about the most. I usually pray three times a day. I don't pray over snacks, but you guys pray for me. I'm not very spiritual. That's over in the secular. My snacks are secular. I'm just kidding. Just wanted to see if you're still awake. Most of you are. That's good. G.K. Yeah, back to Chesterton. (laughs) You say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. So let's, if we refuse to make this false dichotomy between the second, that can help us be thankful more. And the second one is really related to that and just grows out of that. And that is take advantage of life's regular moments to thank God, right? You might be walking through the woods. <laughs> it's just, don't just let it recharge you emotionally or, and physically, but even spiritually. Oh, Lord, th- thank you for those trees, Lord. Thank you for... Thanks for those little animals. Hey, little kids are great for this. If you have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, because they see everything. And we, we, many of us just walk past it. So take, you might be doing that. You might be playing tennis. It's like maybe that's your, your hobby, your activity. And thank God for it. I'm not saying get on your knees on the court before every serve. But you're walking out to the court. Lord, thank you. Thank you that I get to do this today. Or maybe you're driving in the car with your kids. 
Isn't that neat? Isn't that, look at those clouds. Thank God for different things. Or maybe, maybe you're cooking. Thank God for appetite. Thank God for food. Thank God for electricity or gas, whatever you're using to cook with. You just take advantage of it. Ron Hutchcraft, years and years ago, did this, he used to do this, I guess it was a radio thing, I think. It's before podcast. It was, you know, like a, a moment or so. I can't even remember what he called it, but he, I remember him telling about a story where he saw it in a very unusual place to give thanks, and that was the dentist office. I confess, I don't think I've ever given thanks in the dentist office. I mean, I like my dentist, but I'm, I don't like being there, right? But he's, he's at the dentist office and he sees an old friend of his come in who's in his 90s with his wife. And his wife, the man's wife, is in very bad health. And so the older gentleman himself who is in his 90s is helping her. It's pouring down rain. And in the rain, he gets her, he gets her in the dentist office. And then when they finish, the man asks the dentist, he says, since it's raining so hard, um, would you help me get my wife back out to the car? And the dentist says, sure. So the dentist takes a couple minutes and goes out with the elderly couple and gets them in the car. But when they go outside, it stopped raining. And George was the man's name. And he said, George just said, well, isn't it good of God to stop the rain so we could get back in the car? And he just turned and looked up and said, thanks, Father. (laughs) And Ron Hutchcraft observed that, and he said, now that's acknowledging him. That's noticing God's working in the details of your day. And that's where praise comes from, where joy comes from, where a victorious attitude comes from in the toughest of times. But you have to go into your day looking for God at work. If you don't, you'll miss God and you'll miss the joy. But if you do train your heart to go on a daily God hunt, you'll experience what the great preacher Charles Spurgeon talked about when he said this, he who looks for providences or God's actions will never lack a providence to observe. Take advantage of life's regular moments. And then finally, as you read scripture, Create a list of truths about God that you can turn into praise. So this would be every time you look at Scripture. If you're on your own, you're opening the Word, you're studying, you're reading, you're meditating, or maybe you're doing a study with your family or you're in a community group or men's Bible study or ladies' Bible study, whatever. Every time as you're reading it and studying, not only are you trying to study and understand the passage in its context, you want to ask what, is, what does this passage show me about who God is? And what does it show me about what he has done? Hey, a lot of families are going through our 40-day of prayer guide with your kids during the 40 days. It's great and it's awesome. What are you going to do afterwards? It could be as simple as reading a passage and saying, everybody, what do we see about God in this passage? About who he is and, and what, what has he done? So I encourage you to do this and to make this list. And speaking of the concept of giving thanks and acknowledgement as worship, I want you to listen to 
these words from George. This was George Washington's first inaugural address, April 30th, 1789. It would be improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplications to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, and whose providential aids can supply every human defect. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand, capital I, capital H. Well, let me close with this. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 Paul, the apostle, is calling on the Corinthian believers to give generously to the poor. He he had a collection. The the Jewish, there was a great famine in Jerusalem, and the Jewish believers, where the church started, uh, had great needs. And so in his missionary journeys, he, he collected offerings from Gentiles all over, and he and he encouraged them to be generous. And he used many things to encourage them. One was the actual example of, of Jesus. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's the great example of giving. And then he encouraged, he told them all the, many of the things that would happen when they gave. The ministry partnerships would form, uh, needs would be met, God would be pleased. But he also said that God would be worshipped as thanksgiving is created. So the people who received the offerings, they were going to turn and give praise to God. That was in chapter 9, verse 12. This service that you perform, and he's talking about the gifts, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And then in his final word in that section, he's like, these are great things to be thankful for, but I want to point your attention to the thing for which we are thankful for most. And that's What I want to do for you this morning at the end of this sermon too. Verse 15 of chapter 9. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that indescribable gift is Jesus. That's the greatest gift. That's what we are most thankful for. That Jesus came as a gift. And he said... I'll take your wrong. I'll take your penalty. I'll die in your place so you can be saved, so you can be forgiven, so you can be with God now and forever in heaven. Will you open your heart to him? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. 
Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.